All right, first, I'm going to say this. Last week, apparently, I went up and down these stairs a hundred times. And, and I made people dizzy. And so I'm going to try to stay off these stairs. If I come down, I'm going to come all the way down, and I'm going to walk down here, but I'm not going to go up and down these stairs 10,000 times. Okay. I, I get excited, and I don't even know what I'm, where I'm, what I'm doing. All right, so... All right, I am very, very excited about today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read off the screen. Um, Romans 5, we're going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to let you stay seated for the reading and because it's so much. And then we're going to stand together for the prayer. Try, just, Lord, please help us to, to pay attention and somehow track with this. Because it's kind of hard to grab a hold of what Paul is saying, um, but it's really important that we engage and try to think about what he is saying here. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law." Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass may increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Could we stand together, please? Lord, I know reading, reading this, there is something in us that easily checks out and just says this is theological and beyond what I can grasp. And the reality is, is this whole thought is so key to us being successful in life down here. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and put ISAV on the eyes of our heart that we might grasp the life that you have made for us in Christ and how we can get into the flow of who we are. Lord, flesh and blood cannot reveal this. This is not science class where we just need to be really smart. Lord, we need your revelation. We need your help. Would you please, Father, hide me today and take things that seem complicated and make them really easy for regular people, God, just people like us, to grab a hold of and apply to our lives today. Lord, I pray for every single person who is living under the circumstances of their life and being crushed by their life right now. Lord, you said if we would grab a hold of this, that we would reign in this life, that we would be able to get above our circumstances. We would see everything different. We would experience the abundance of grace. And in this life, even in this life, we would reign. Now, God, I pray that you would help us Help us to pay attention. Help us to focus. Lord, I know how easy it is to fall asleep and to just kind of wander off when we're talking about theology. Please, God, help us to grab a hold. Keep us awake, Holy Spirit. And please, God, show us how it fits into our life, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, so title of the message is the two Adams. And in our text here, even though Paul is referencing the thought of the two Adams, he doesn't literally call Jesus the second Adam like he does in 1 Corinthians 15.45. So let me give you 1 Corinthians 15.45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So there are two Adams. 
And I, I'm praying today that all of us, including myself, would grab a hold of the second Adam and the life that he has brought. All right, so here's point one. Similarities of the two Adams. Why is Jesus called the second Adam? Here's the similarities between the two. They both begin a new race. Everybody that's born into the world, everybody that is flesh and blood, is part of the race of the first Adam. We were all there. We were all in his seed. When, when Adam was born, when Adam was created, and in that first child, everybody that was going to come, just like every apple is in that first apple seed, we were all in Adam. We were all part of that race. Everybody that was going to come after him was in Adam. So we are part of this race of human beings from the first Adam. Jesus says this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, we know you're of God. Nicodemus is this ruler. He's a Pharisee. He's one of the leaders of Israel. And he says to Jesus, he comes to him by night because he doesn't want to be seen by his buddies. And he says, hey, we know you're of God. Well, you're doing stuff that you, no one could do the stuff you do except you were of God. And Jesus says this to him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So everybody that's born of flesh... Uh, one way of describing it is born of water, born through the, the amniotic fluid. You lose your water. It's being born of flesh. There is, that is your first birth. But to, to enter the kingdom of God, you have to have a second birth. You actually have to be born a second time. You have to become part of a different race. Now here is the interesting thing. Because Nicodemus says, how can this be? And partly he's trying to get it into his head about this born again. How do you, would you get into your mother's womb again? But there's more to it than that. Jesus has said, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven without being Born again, and, and Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? I, I'm a good person. Not only am I a good person, I'm a leader in the Jewish faith. 
I am helping other people come to faith. We keep the law. I'm a, I'm a teacher of the law. I am extremely religious. I am the best of Adam's race. This is, this is the best. And you're trying to tell me that I'm not good enough to be in the kingdom? And Jesus says, yep, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Paul is writing to Jewish believers and Gentile believers, but here he's focusing on the Jewish believers because the Jewish believers have it in their mind that they have to be right with God because they keep the law. And the law makes them righteous. And Paul is saying, the law, the law does not make you righteous. Keeping the law would make you righteous, but you don't keep the, the law. The law was not added to make people righteous. The law was added to hold up a mirror to the human race so that they could see how sinful they are. The law cannot make you righteous. Your good works cannot make you righteous. Your religion cannot make you righteous. I don't care if you've been in church all your life. I don't care if you've been water baptized or you take communion or, or you're, 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 you always do good things for your neighbor. None of it gains you entrance into the kingdom of God. There's only one way in. You have to be born again. You actually have to be born into this new race, a race that the second Adam has begun. So they're similar in that they both began a new race. They're similar in another way. They both affected their whole race by one act. Here's Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Consequently, this is verse 18, just as one trespass, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, What? What? How does, that, how does this work? See how I'm staying away from these stairs? <laughs> how does this work? How can condemnation call come to all people because of one man's sin who didn't even live during our generation? Here's how it works. Really, really important to understand this so that you can understand the other side of this. So Adam is given the choice between the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He is invited by God to the tree of life. And in his free will, and Adam was the only person that was truly free, he chooses this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let's call it the tree of independence from God. He disobeys God. And he eats the fruit of that tree and the fruit of disobedience is a seed that gets into his very spirit. And it now poisons Everyone that's going to be born of him, and you say, well, I wasn't there. Well, actually, in God's, in God's perspective, you were there, and so was I. We were all in Adam. 
Everybody that's been born since then was, was there in seed form. And so we all got poisoned with a sin nature. It says through that one man's sin, death came in to the human race. And it passed to all people because all sinned. Okay, now this is just, this is really important. Everyone that's born is born with a sin nature. Everybody's born with a tendency towards sin. That's why your two-year-old's first words are usually, mine. <laughs> and as they get a little older, it's, it's not fair. Um, <clears throat> so sin has passed on to all people. Everybody's born with a sin nature. Now, the way death passes, and when it talks about death, it's talking about spiritual death. Remember God said to Adam, the day you eat, you shall die. And then he didn't die physically, did he? But he died spiritually. He was separated from the life of God, okay? So it says that death passes to all people because all sinned. Death does not pass to you until you actually sin. Where there is no knowledge of law, where there is no, I, I don't even understand right and wrong, death hasn't passed yet. There's not, you haven't actually sinned, even though you've got a tendency towards sin. So all children go to heaven. They're already right with God. Sin, even though they're selfish, they don't understand it. They don't, people that are, 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 are mentally retarded and they're just not there, they are right with God, even though they have a sin nature. So spiritual death, your spiritual death has two parts to it. First, Adam's responsible for it because he disobeyed first. He passed the sin nature to you. But it doesn't pass to you until you actually sin. Death passed to all people because all sinned. So Adam's death, the spiritual death of that act does not actually pass to you until you actually sin. So that one act has affected the entire human race. It's, it brought in this tendency towards sin and he, it, that eventually results in death because everybody with a tendency towards sin will eventually sin if they grow up to that point. Okay. So, they're similar because, they're, because they affected their whole race by one act. So let's look at the second act. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. To grab a hold of this is to grab a hold of how God, see thing, God sees things. 
one act of obedience. One act of obedience changed everything. Listen to this. This is uh, Philippians 2.8. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In that one act of obedience, whereby Jesus died for the sins of the world, all people were reconciled to God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that we've been given the message of reconciliation, and this is the message of reconciliation, that God is no longer holding the world's sins against them. In God's economy, sin is no longer a problem. He has reconciled to the world. In this one act, he has reconciled the world to himself. So, life is available to all people. So to be born again, to be part of the new race, once again, it's twofold. If, if you are born again here today, if you are part of the new race, there's, there's two dimensions to it. One, it wouldn't be possible except that Jesus died for you on the cross and made being right with God available. But then you need to believe. Each person individually has to believe. Just like each had to sin themselves for, for death to pass, to get the life of God, to become part of this second race, you have to believe. The work is already done. But you and I must believe. You and I have to, and it's more than mental assent. We must receive Christ. We must put our trust in him. We must see ourselves first as part of that first race and that spiritual death is a reality and there's, it doesn't matter how much religion I add to my life or how, how many little old ladies I help across the street, I am still part of the first race. The only way I can be saved is by being born again. But the work is already done. Jesus did it on the cross. One act of obedience has led to reconciliation for everybody. All you need to do now is to believe. Now, this is absolutely amazing. <coughs> Just like you were born with a tendency towards sin. Look, it's not fair. I didn't get a fair shot because it, every, the cards were all set against me. I was born into this world. How many know that you did not ask to be born into this world? Nobody interviewed you and said, do you want to come down to earth? It just happened. And then, on top of it, not only did you not ask to be born, you didn't ask to be born a sinner. And why is it my fault that I've got a tendency towards sin when I didn't, I didn't ask for this? Well, here's what happened on the cross. Adam's one sin led to this tendency towards sin. 
But let me show you what happened in this one act of obedience. This is John chapter 12, verse 32. Here's what Jesus says. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, that's speaking of the cross, that's speaking of how he's going to die. I, after I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Did you know that Jesus, the Father, has sent into the world the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus died, and that he has loosed into this world a force, a person, the Holy Spirit, who is drawing all people. He's making it easy for all people to believe. You actually have to fight the Holy Spirit to stay in unbelief. Through, through the, because of this one act of obedience, Every person you know, even unbelievers, are being drawn. God, Jesus is seeking after those who are lost. He is calling lost people. If you are not born again today, trust me, and you're in this building right now, trust me, the reason why you're in this building today is because the Holy Spirit has drawn you here. Amazing. He is drawing all people to himself. Why? Because even as you and I were in Adam's seed right from the beginning, when Jesus died on the cross, every single person here was in his heart. He knew you were coming. He died not just for the world. He died for me. He knew about me. He knew I was coming. You were there in the spirit. Let's move on to differences between the two Adams. This is point two. One is earthly and one is heavenly. Let's read more of 1 Corinthians 15. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. Okay, so here we go. The first man starts out on earth. Do you remember how God created mankind? On the sixth day, it just says that he made, made mankind. M male and female, he made them. That's Genesis 1. You get how he actually did it in chapter 2. He actually took of the dust of the earth and he formed man and then... Then he breathed life into everything else in creation was spoken. God just spoke it and it was, not mankind. He didn't speak us into existence. He formed us out of the dust of the earth, our bodies, and then he breathed his own image and we became 
life, we, we became alive. That's the first Adam. He starts out just created from the earth, then the life of God is breathed into him. But that's not how it is with the second Adam. The first Adam starts out as earth, then he gets the image of God with the potential of eternal life, and then he's invited to share the very life of God in the tree of life. And he's invited to ascend To have God, not just walking with him, but to have God walking in him. And at that point, he rejects God's invitation to ascend. So here's the second Adam. The second Adam starts in heaven. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The second Adam is not created. He starts in heaven. And then we get this amazing conversation between the Trinity, the son speaking to the father. It's recorded in Psalm 40 and it's repeated in Hebrews chapter 10, verses five through seven. Here's what it says. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O my God. Jesus says this. The the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, they can't remove the sins of the human race. They're animals. They never never removed sin in the Old Testament. They covered sin. They were a picture. They were a type. The only one that could remove sin had to be, it was man that had sinned, and only a man could remove sin. Only the sacrifice of a man could satisfy the justice of God who said the wages of sin is death. So God says to God in eternity, prepare for me a body. This thing doesn't start on earth with God forming somebody. It starts in heaven with God saying to God, prepare for me a body and I will go. And then this is just, it just blows our minds. But Jesus wasn't just God with human flesh. He actually became a human being. He was both God and man. Just tremendous mystery. Look at Hebrews chapter five, verse eight. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, one, God can't learn. God can't learn. Don't, you can't say that Jesus learned anything because God doesn't learn things. That's part of who God is. God knows everything. So how can he learn? He learned what it was to be a human being. 
He learned obedience. When he said in the garden, Father, if it is possible, let this cup be removed from me. It's the cup that's got the entire sins of the world. It is the cup that if he drinks it, there's going to be separation. The eternal God, is, there's going to be a separation. We cannot even fathom what that is. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done. Okay, that is his human will. That is the natural human will for self-preservation. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Did you, do you see that in eternity that there was no such thing as having to choose obedience? He was forever one with God. He lived in union with God. The two wills were one will. It was, it was just relationship, relationship. The idea that there had to be a choice, that there had to be a submitting of one will for another will, that is, he is a human being. And where the other Adam failed, this Adam succeeds. Amazing. Isn't it interesting that one Adam ate of a tree that, that caused death to pass to all men, and the other Adam hung on a tree? so that life could come to all mankind. Stunning mystery. See, how does he become perfect? God doesn't become perfect. God, he is perfect. In what way was God not perfect? There's only one way that God wasn't perfect. He, he wasn't the perfect mediator. Because God and man need a mediator to go between. And he was perfect as God, but he couldn't, be, he couldn't be the perfect mediator as just God. The priests of the Old Testament, Hebrews 5 starts, and the end of 4 says that these earthly priests, they were very sympathetic to our part. They were appointed by God to be priests, but the problem with them is they couldn't mediate perfectly for God because they were just people. They were sinners too. They had to offer first for their own sins. To have a perfect mediator, you had to have somebody that was both God and man. He became perfect as mediator. He inherited, the next verse is he inherited a priesthood. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus All right, now we're going to make it really, really practical to our lives. All right. The this is point three, last point. The differences between their two races. Okay, we're going to look at the past of the two races, the future of the two races, and the present of the two races. We're going to start with the past. Um, look at look at first or Romans chapter five verse one. We're going to talk about the second Adam first. The those who have been born again, those who are part of this new race that began with Jesus dying on the cross, that have believed on the cross. Here's Romans five one. Therefore, 
Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens in this new race is your entire past, all of your sins, all of your guilt, gets washed away in the blood of Jesus. And you and I get peace with God. We are reconciled to God. Second, Second Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. They're part of this new race. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So this new person, the old does not have a hold on them because they are washed. They are reconciled. They have got peace with God. So there's no regret. There's no shame. And here's what's really important. There's no blame because all those that sinned against you, all those that hurt you, you forgive. And so you have peace with God and you are, who am I? I am what Jesus is making me. Everything's become new. Jesus is making me. I'm not all those things yet, but it's coming. It's coming. I'm going somewhere. Now here's the tragedy of the race of the first Adam, those who are not born again. Old things have not passed away. I am living with the regret and the guilt of the past. Oftentimes I numb myself to it because I feel guilty, I feel bad, I don't wanna feel bad, so I harden my heart, I harden my conscience. And I say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I tell myself, it doesn't matter. The old has not passed away. I, I've got a list of the people who have hurt me, the people who have rejected me, the purple, people that have sinned against me. I would really be going somewhere except somebody ruined my life. And the old, I am what the past has made me. And I kind of resent it. That's the life of the old race. That is the life, the past of the old race. Let's move on to the future. Let's look at the future of the second Adam. Look in verse 10. Verse 9 and 10. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We boast in the hope of sharing the glory of God. Here's, here's the thought. <laughs> Paul's like, guys, do you want to know how sure eternal life is for you? Here's how sure. When you were God's enemy, when you weren't doing anything for God, when you were in overt sin, at that time, Christ died for you. He demonstrated his love. And then he, and then he says this, listen, how much more? Now that you have responded to him, you've become a friend of God. You're his favorite son. You're his favorite daughter. How much more? We boast. We, we're never going to die, folks. Heaven is coming. 
The second Adam has this future of glory with God. We, we boast in it. We boast in it. I remember when I first became a Christian and, and I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, I know that I'm going to heaven and people, because uh, I was witnessing everything that moved and they would say, you know, <laughs> you know that seems arrogant. But it's, it's actually the greatest statement of humility. See, if it had anything to do with what I do and what I've earned, I could never be sure of heaven, could I? Because you would never know if it was enough. But when you realize the gospel... This is about, did Jesus do enough? Was Jesus good enough? Salvation comes as a gift. Eternal life is a gift. So our boast, it's not in us. It's not in what we've done. Our boast is in God. It's in Jesus. It's in what has been done for us that we have freely received. Let's look at the future of the second Adam, or the first Adam. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So here's what the first Adam is dealing with and and their race. They're not just dealing with the guilt of the past. They're not just dealing with the shame of the past. They're not just dealing with their list of people that have wronged them that they kind of have to try to keep track of because I'm going to get back at them or I'm going to somehow get justice against them. They're not only dealing with their past, they're also dealing with their future. The Bible says that Satan, the enemy holds the fear of death over their lives. What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm afraid. I don't want to go to funerals. I don't want to talk around death. I don't want to be around death because death is an enemy. It's the ultimate enemy, and I'm not sure what happens. People talk about heaven. They're like, well, maybe, maybe not. That sounds like a fairy tale to me. Maybe there's life after, maybe there's not. I don't know. And that uncertainty, it's a fear. So no matter how good their life is, no matter how good things are going, there is this cloud hanging over their future. And so what people do, we know what people do. They don't think about it. They get themselves busy. It's why people have to have the TV on all the time. Why I've got to have some in my ear all the time. I've got to keep myself busy because I don't want to be alone with my thoughts because there is so much uncertainty. This is the life of the first Adam and of their race. Their past is filled with sin, regret, blame, shame. Their future is uncertain So there's anxiety. And I want you to see today how both are pressing on their present. It's taking away 
their ability to live in the present because the past has got so much pull and the future fear has so much pull that it affects their present. I want to talk lastly about the present. I want to talk about the second Adam first. This is uh, Romans 5.3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. It says in Romans 5.17 that those who through the gift of righteousness and through the abundance of grace will reign, R-E-I-G-N, in this life. How? Paul tells us how. First, he says, the Christian life is not a trouble-free life. <laughs> there is suffering. But he says we have a different perspective. We don't live under our circumstances. We live over them. We reign over our circumstances because we see suffering. We see trouble. We see difficulty completely different than the world does. Because within my trouble... My righteousness or right standing with God, which I've received by gift, is a window that's opened up an abundance of grace. And in that abundance of grace, we talked about this last week, every favored son and daughter has the right to ask for delivering grace. Many of my troubles just disappear because I ask God and God does a miracle for me. But where we, when we don't get immediate delivering grace sustaining grace is still available to us. And so that we could go through things with confidence. If I get delivered, awesome. If I don't get delivered, then God's going to use my circumstances to make me strong. He's going to give me perseverance through my circumstances. Thanks, bro. He is going to make me beautiful. He's going to refine my character. My circumstances can only serve me. When I go through something, there's a good reason I'm going through it. I don't even need to know what it is. So here's what happened two Tuesdays ago. We're... We're kind of in the midst of a family crisis that's created some difficulty. Um, one, of, one of our adult children got a diagnosis that was very negative and it's very easy for us to go negative. And this specific Tuesday night, it was just, we were just down. The whole family was just we were just down. We came to prayer meeting. How many know that prayer meeting is a great place to go to if you don't feel like going to prayer meeting? We're in prayer meeting and we're, you know, we're worshiping because how many know Jesus is worthy of our worship whether we're having a good day or a bad day? <clears throat> so we're just, we're just worshiping and and our prophetic team is leading that night. And Renee, um, Renee White, an elder here, um, comes to the microphone and, and she says this. She, sa she reads Psalm 23, just this part. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear 
no evil. And here's what she said. She said, God wants you to know that you are not stopping in the valley of death. You are going through it. He wants you to know that your circumstances are temporary. You're not stopping there. You're not living there. You're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And all that's going to happen when you get to the other side is you're going to look back and say, that valley made me. It didn't hurt me. It made me a better person. It made me a stronger person. It made me more beautiful. It made me more hopeful. It refined my faith in God. I know God can bring me through anything because he brought me through that. And something in my heart raised up and grabbed a hold of that. Yeah, this is what's available to me. This is grace that is available to me. What is our present like? It says that the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Perfect love casts out all fear. We had a young man, Matthias Finley, eight years old, had a, had a dream recently, and it was, he shared it in prayer meeting, and I asked, I asked Matthias and his family if it would be okay if I shared it on Sunday morning. And, uh, and actually, uh, Monica, his mom, sent me the, the exact story. So I'm just going to read this to you, and then we're going to talk about it, because it, it's about all of us. It's not just about Matthias. It's about all of us. Here's, here, here it is. This is Monica writing to me. Right before I put him to bed, I was telling him that he could just pray to Jesus about anything in his heart and that Jesus was his friend, etc. He had told us recently that he felt like he couldn't quite, quote, connect with God the way he wanted. He told me that it was hard to just talk to Jesus because after reading Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus seemed to be so serious. I talked to him about how Jesus loves his children and how he had actually prayed for them. Then I prayed for him out loud and asked Jesus to reveal himself to Matthias, to reveal his fun, loving, loving and kind side. I specifically asked for Jesus to give him a dream that night. Parentheses, I often do that when I pray for the boys. The next day, he told us that he had had the funniest dream and that it was with Jesus. In the dream, Matthias was standing next to water, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes out of the water riding on top of a whale. Jesus comes over to Matthias and asks him to ride the whale with him. Matthias jumps on, and they go around flying on the whale. Matthias then asks Jesus, Wow, I didn't know whales could fly. How come you never told anyone? And Jesus responds, I just wanted people to have the fun of finding out for themselves. Here's why this dream is so important. There are many here today 
that feel like the spiritual life is above them. Just like Matthias, I don't really, you know, I love that the pastor's excited and, and I know a few people in my life that are really spiritual and they've got this God connection. That's not me. I'm just a regular person. I'm just a regular person. And the Jesus in the scripture, it seems so serious and so difficult and so hard and And I just don't know that I'm made of the right stuff. I don't know if I can be that serious. I want you to know the God you serve. I want to know you to know who he is. He heard the prayer of a mom. He heard the cry of an eight-year-old boy. And he gave him this crazy dream where he gets to ride on a whale with him and fly around. Why didn't you tell everybody? Because I wanted them to have the fun. I wanted them to have the adventure of finding out for themselves who I am, how much I love them, how good I am. And the wonderful, there's nothing too difficult for me. Who is this God that would speak to an eight-year-old boy so beautifully and so clearly? Guys, this is who Jesus is. He knows the cry of your heart. He knows what type of person you are and why you feel like you're probably disqualified from this because you're not as smart, as godly, as holy, as fill in the blank. This isn't about any of that, guys. This is about a really great God who loves you and me. As is. It's, it's hard. It's hard. I, I grant that. It's very hard to grab a hold of it. We are so used to conditional love. We give love conditionally. We try not to. It's like somebody said this. I'm only going to give mercy to people that deserve it. <laughs> Do you see how ingrained we are? The very definition of mercy is it's for people that don't deserve it. God loves you. Period. Jesus died for you. But, 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 no, no buts. This is true. This is for you. He's got a smile on his face. And he's inviting you into an adventure. He died on a cross so that we could have life. So here's the at life of the first Adam, Matthew 6, 32, 34. Maybe, maybe not. Matthew 6, 32 through 34, no. Okay, I think I might have written that in later. So he says to them this. Your father loves you and he knows that you have need of these things. Don't live like the pagans do. Don't live like those that don't know God who ask themselves, what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna wear? They live constantly anxious. 
But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. This is what he says. This is Matthew 6, 32 through 34. So he describes how the old race lives. We've already talked about they've got their past pulling on them. They've got the future pulling on them. And so the present is about survival. It's about what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, and what am I going to eat and wear tomorrow? And how am I going to make sure I've got enough for tomorrow? And how am I going to make sure? And so no matter how much I've got today, I, it's not just about today, it's tomorrow. And it's not just about me, it's my family. And, and I've got, and I live, my life gets reduced to survival. And it's all about just preserving my own life. The present for the first Adam's race has got so much pain in it and so much anxiety in it. So here's what happened this morning. I'm asking God to give us something to help us grab a hold of this. The verse that comes to mind is Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. I'll read it to you. I know they don't have it on the thing. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, a fish out of water. I want you to picture a fish out of water right now. See it? Do you see it? It's, it's squirming. It's still alive. But it's hating its life. It's, it, it, why? It's soon going to die. If it does not get back in its natural environment, it's going to die. So it's squirming. It just longs to be back in the water. Because that's the environment that it thrives in. That's the environment that gives it life. What's happening with many Christians is you're living like a fish out of water. Thinking that your problem is a financial problem or a physical problem or this problem, and it's all symptoms. Here's the problem. You're out of water. You're trying to get along with this world. You're trying to live in, in that first race. We all got used to living in the first race, didn't we? And, and, and we've, you've got an enemy that's trying to drag you into your past, trying to drag you into the bitterness of the past, the shame of the past, the guilt of the past. Or he's trying to sow doubt into you about your future, and he's trying to get you to live just like the pagans. And you aren't, you aren't made for it. it. It doesn't work. You die in that environment. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. Seek the things that are above. So then I come into the sanctuary. So I'm, like, I'm, I'm mulling over this. Is this really for today? I'm, I'm, I've come into the sanctuary, and here we've got heaven pictured. Your life is up here. Your life is in heaven. Your identity is in heaven. Superman can't understand his identity because he came from a different planet. 
And he's, he grows up and he's, he's, they're trying to get him to fit in with everybody. And he's, he's different than everybody. And he, he, this is in the, this is in the 2005 movie. Forgive me for this. But he has this, he goes to this cave and he has a vision of his father and his father tells him who he is. Guys, if you're born again today, you need to live in the water. You are free from your past and your future for a purpose to seek first the kingdom of God, to seek the things that are above, to live loved instead of afraid. All right, I want the worship team to come up. <clears throat> and I have two calls today, two, two groups of people that I want to pray for. Brian's going to lead us in a song and it's got a line in it that says this. When I was far away, you called me. When I was broken in my sin, you brought your spirit upon me and put a new heart within no, no one is ever geographically far from God. We live and move and have our being in him. God is the one giving you breath. You are living in God. God is everywhere. And trust me, he's here right now. But you and I can be morally far from God. We can be doing our own thing, going our own way, eating of that tree of our own independence. But that doesn't put God off. It's in that place that God calls us. And he says, are you tired yet? He says, I love you. Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. How many know God can knock pretty loud? So if we could have our head, heads bowed and eyes closed, here's the first group I want to pray for. You don't know if you're part of the second race. You don't know if you're born again. For whatever religion you have, whatever goodness you have, whatever church you have, you're not sure today that you are born again. And I'm here today saying Jesus is the one knocking and being born again is his gift. He wants you to be born again. The work's already done. And the Holy Spirit's inviting you to be part of the second Adam, to be part of this new race. If that is you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand real high right now? We're going to pray that prayer. I got you back there. God bless you. Ma'am, got you and got you. Thank you. Up in the balcony, got you way in the back there. Got you right here, bro. God bless you. Got you in the balcony as well. God bless you. God bless you, sweetheart. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray in just a moment. Yeah, I got you, man. Way, way in the back. Got you. Okay, get ready for the supernatural. If you raised your hand, put your hand on your heart right now. The power of this thing, guys, is not the prayer. The power is, of it is that Jesus promised it and that he's alive today. He has been waiting for this moment. So pray something like this in your heart after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving 
me, even one like me. Lord, I hear you knocking and I'm opening the door today by faith. And I ask you to come into me. I ask you to save me. I ask you to pour your spirit upon me. Make me part of your new race. I, I gladly embrace your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we stand to our feet and sing this song together and then we'll do one last prayer. Lord, I love you forever. <coughs> you have always been my friend. Yes, I will love you forever. And follow you until the end you laid your life you laid your life down on the altar you endured hostility you drank the cup of the Father Spirit, pour out your spirit, pour out your spirit. Pour 
for you are like Matthias you just had trouble connecting with God it's been hard for you to to really grab a hold of this because you're just you you've had trouble receiving the love of God for you personally you just open your arms like this I just want to pray for for you Lord, you heard Monica's prayer. You came in the night and you spoke to an eight-year-old in just the way that an eight-year-old needed to hear it. And he found out that you're willing to dwell and come and reveal yourself to all of us. You're calling all of us with a smile on your face to fly with you. Come on up here. Come on up in. Come up here. Find out what I'm like by personal experience. Father, I break off of each of my brothers and sisters the hold of the past, the fear of the future. Lord, this morning, we're getting back in the water. We're getting back in the water. Our life, my life, is hidden with God in Christ. I am born again. I am made for the presence of God. I've got a sure hope. I've got peace with my past. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Thank you, Lord. Blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. You are amazing, God. Would you let us leave this place today overflowing with the new life that you have given us in Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Woo! We're gonna have ministry teams up here if you want more prayer. Otherwise, have a great week, guys.